Hey, good morning, everybody. Is this like the coolest thing, just to be together as a church family? How about a little shout out for the people in the bleachers and the cheap seats? They had to get there, so. That's right. You guys have the biggest cheering section of all time. They're all rooting for you over there. So if you pass out, they're all going to see you do it. So you want to make sure you stay upright. So, hey, so life, we all have definitions for what life is. You just watched a video that helps us to kind of understand a little bit of a glimpse of what that's about. But one of the things that's true and what I want to talk about this morning is that when we understand the resurrection of Jesus, that we understand, and in fact, there's a whole other series that I'm going to unpack in the, in the next about five or six weeks. But when we really understand and actually believe that Jesus literally rose from the dead, we have this understanding. There is one person in all of human history that has overcome death. One person. His name is Jesus. And through his death and resurrection, everything changed. You might not know that everything changed, but everything has changed because now the experience of life has a completely different and more holistic explanation and definition than it ever did before. So for you and I to understand, they've heard it in different ways and said to kind of different phrases, but the truth is true for all of us. All of us live forever, but not all of us forever live. There's a difference between the two. And this morning I want to talk a little bit about that because there's a dimension to life when you understand the truth of the resurrection that happened thousands of years ago but still actually has impact on our lives today. If you understand that, then you realize there's a whole other level of life that God created you to live that apart from his resurrection, you and I can't access it because death is still the reality that all of us live with every single day, every single moment, because most of us spend most of our time figuring out how do we avoid death? How do we extend life? How do we make sure that we're safe? How do we make sure that we're living the life that we want to live? But there's a whole dimension that God has for, for us that some of us have yet to even tap into. I don't know your spiritual journey. I don't know if your understanding of Jesus is that you've given your life to him. Or maybe, maybe you've known him for 30, 40, 50 years. But I know there's a dimension of life that some of us never really tap into that God has for us. Now, let me, let me give you kind of an illustration, and I want to, want to qualify this so you know, as I'm sharing this, that there's no confusion in the room. I am a lifelong, diehard L.A. Laker fan and always will be, okay? I have to say that because what I'm about to say might sound otherwise, but just so you know that, okay? So if anyone ever tells you anything else about me, they are lying, okay? So just, we got that clear. We were in, in Oregon for seven years. We lived just outside of Portland. And so uh, when the kids were younger and their, their first NBA experience, their first professional basketball game was not the Lakers. It was the Portland Trailblazers. And so, yeah, boo. Yeah, you can boo the Blazers. But just a moment. Yeah, John Looney's all, yeah, go Blazers. But I have to admit, there is a vast difference between going to a Laker game and a Blazer game. If you've ever been to a Blazer game in Oregon, if you've ever been into the state of Oregon, they have one professional, one, now they actually have two in terms of sports, they have the Portland Timbers, which is, which is soccer, but they only have one professional sports team. That's the Portland Trailblazers. So it isn't just the city of Portland, it's the entire state of Oregon that loves the Blazers. And when you, do, you go to a game, you feel it. I remember when the first time we went to a game, you know, if you've ever been to a Laker game, you know how Laker fans are. They show up halfway through the first quarter and they leave halfway through the fourth quarter, right? Just like if you're a Dodger fan, you get there at the third inning and you leave in the seventh, right? That's the way it works. But when you go to a Blazer game, people actually show up on time. 
They're actually excited. In fact, I remember Jordan and I went to a game. They were playing the San Antonio Spurs. And at the time, the Spurs had the best record in the NBA. When we got there, literally within two minutes of the game starting, every single seat, all 20,000 seats in the Rose Garden there were packed. And in the first quarter, when the Blazers got up by 10 over the, you would, it was crazy. They got up by 10 over, over the, the Spurs. You would have thought they just, everybody in the room won the lottery. The place was shaking. They're screaming. I'd never seen that at a Laker game. Never. Because we're too cool, right? It's all Hollywood. We're too sophisticated. You, good job, Kobe. Nice shot, right? That's the way we cheer. But not in, not in, or not in, in Portland. In fact, what's cool, they, they make the whole thing a huge experience. They actually have an inside blimp that takes off and flies around the arena and drops tickets and money over people. Is that like the coolest thing? So at timeouts, you're like, oh, I can't wait for a timeout because the blimp's going to fly, right? And everybody's excited. And then they had this thing that Taco Bell worked out with them and that if, if the Blazers scored more than 100 points, everybody gets a free chalupa. So every time you went to a game, if they hit like 95 for the next like five points, chalupa, chalupa. I mean, they're going crazy. And then no joke, this, this surprised me. Every single regular season play, Blazer game, when they win confetti and streamers come down from the rafters like they've just won the NBA Finals. And I looked at him like, what are they doing? It's his regular season. This is the Portland Trailblazers. I've never, ever seen that at a Laker game. So here's the reality. If you go to a Laker game and you go to a Blazer game, you've experienced an NBA game, but you haven't really experienced what it means to be at a Blazer game. And I'm telling you, yes, I am dissing my, my Lakers that I love, But life is the same thing. You and I experience life. We go through things, but there's a dimension of life that some of us have never experienced. We don't know. We think that the life that we have now is as good as it gets. This is all that there is. But this morning I want to talk about that there's there's so much more. There's a couple passages of scriptures that, that really highlight this understanding. If Jesus conquered death, what kind of life does that mean that we get to live and get to experience? Paul, the Apostle Paul in his book, Romans, he wrote this in in chapter 6, verse 4. He says, We were buried therefore with him, talking about Jesus, by baptism, which is a sign of death and resurrection, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. Not just life, newness of life. And then Jesus actually said something even more significant than what Paul said in his own words in John 10.10 when Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus didn't say, I just came, hey, so you could be alive. That's not what he came for. He came so that that he could add a whole dimension of life. So when Paul uses the word newness and Jesus uses the word abundant, it's a life that's something that you and I have to attain through Jesus' death and resurrection, if we embrace that. Why is that so important? Because it's not enough to be alive. God didn't create you just to have blood flowing through your body and breath through your lungs. He didn't create you just for that, although that's pretty significant. He created all of us for so much more. And when Jesus uses the word abundant, the word abundant is it's actually hard to translate. It literally means beyond It's life that's beyond your expectation. It's beyond your definition. It's beyond sometimes our understanding. In fact, it's interesting. Obviously, the Bible originally was not written in English. I know some of you, that's a newsflash. It was in other languages. And when you try to translate from Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, one of the things that you discover is sometimes things don't translate straight across. You know, in many languages, there is no noun form for the word life. And it's on purpose. There's only the verb form. There is no life, there is only living, it's active, it's not static. 
And that's the understanding that we have from these two passages. A newness of life that is new. It's different than what we've had before. And a life that's beyond what we've experienced that God wants for us. It's what he's created us for. But the challenge and the tension that all of us have is this question. Am I existing or am I living? Because the majority of us will go through our life and we will simply have existed we would have had a heartbeat, we would have had lung, breath in our lungs, we would have lived what we think is life, but we have never truly lived the way God designed us to live. And so I want to just take a few moments to talk about the difference between existing and living, because there is a huge difference between the two. And the first reality is this, the difference between the two is the difference between life now and life always. Not life now and life later, because sometimes if you're a Christian, one of the things that we do, Jesus rose from the dead, he's alive, he's going to come back, and he's going to come back for me because I know him, and so guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to just hang on until Jesus comes back, and then I'm going to start living. That's not what Jesus said. The capacity of life that Jesus gave us starts in this world, in this life. So it's this life always that Jesus has made it possible through his death and resurrection because he's alive. That means that death is no longer the end for us. That means it isn't the weight that it carried before where it hangs over our head that we all know it's coming someday because it changes in the reality of what we understand. So Jesus talks about abundant life. Paul talks about newness of life. And if you understand the truth of the resurrection, this is what happens. You realize something about death. Death is not the end because life is always that means there's something beyond this. And if there's something beyond this, that means that you and I, whether you know it or not, if you don't understand the resurrection and you don't believe who Jesus is, there's something that happens in your life whether you know it or not. The trajectory of your life is downward. You might think, ah, I feel pretty good today. I had a Krispy Kreme donut. I'm feeling up about myself, right? No, the trajectory of your life is downward. Why? Because to you in your mindset, death is the end. And every day that goes by is one more day that you're closer to death. And so in your mind, there's this downward trajectory because you know you're heading eventually towards death. But when death is no longer the end and the resurrection is reality, guess what? The trajectory of your life is upward. Because you realize now, now as I'm moving forward in life, now as I understand there's a capacity of life that God's bringing to me right now, but there's a greater dimension of life that I'm going to have even after this world. That means that I can look forward to the future and every single day of my life, even though my physical death will be a reality, I know that the reality is because Jesus is alive, I will be alive. Because he overcame death, because I am in him, I can overcome death. And that means death is no longer the end. And if that's the truth, that means that my life is always on an upward trajectory. And sometimes we try to get ourselves to do that, and, and we miss it because we're so caught here. We think this is all there is. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, he gives a number of illustrations about if you do this specific behavior to get the pat on the back, you've just got all of the credit and all of the treasure you're ever going to have from that moment. But if you realize there's something more, you realize that the greater reward and treasure you're going to have is life always, and that will come in the future. Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. He says, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Are you kidding me? Death is better than this life? That's a perspective that only comes when you actually believe Jesus rose from the dead, because now death is not the end. Some of us need to shift and understand that when we understand the resurrection, death be removes this concept that it is a period at the end of a sentence because death becomes a comma in the middle of a sentence. That means death doesn't end. It doesn't mean life that ends. It just keeps on going. And if you and I understand that reality, that means that when we look at death, we don't see it the same way. We don't see it as an end. 
we see it as actually a beginning and as something else that God has for us. And sometimes if we understand that reality, then, then we know that there's this anticipation something's going to be greater. But, but if we think that, that somehow that life is just the end, then it's just too short. You know, most people don't look back on their life and think, man, I'm glad this is over. That just lasted way too long for me, right? Anybody been on the mummy ride at, at Universal Studios? Wow, you guys need to get out, okay? It's a really fun ride, okay? Some of you are like, Pastor John went on the mummy ride. Isn't that kind of spiritual and kind of creepy? It's really cool, okay? Just, you can get over that. But we, I went on it for the first time about three or four months ago, or maybe, maybe a couple months ago, and, and I had never been on that particular ride, and it was awesome. It's like the only like, true roller coaster at Universal Studios, because the one in Harry Potter, forget that's not a real roller coaster. But... When, when I, we went on it, you're like, you're, you go through all the, you know, it's just kind of like what they do at Disneyland. You get all the environment and everything that's telling the story of the mummy and all this creepy stuff. And then you actually get into the ride. And you accelerate from like zero to like 60 miles an hour in like two seconds. And then you're in the dark and you're, you're you know, you're, you're weaving back and forth. And it's just, there's noise. And it's super exciting and super fast. And then you come to like this abrupt halt. And you stop. And then you see some strange things like coming at you on the screen. And then you do the whole thing in reverse. And then you stop again. And I remember after doing that, I'm sitting next to Kim and I'm like, I'm ready. Like, that's the beginning, right? And all of a sudden, the doors open and you're back in the station. I'm like, are you kidding me? That was it? And I actually went and I timed. It's less than 60 seconds of actual ride time. You walk through all this environment and all this, and then 60 seconds, boom, it's over. And you're like, that was it? See, if you and I understand that, that there's life beyond this, you and I won't think, oh, is that it? Because you know there's more to come. But if li- this life and death is the end, then that's the way we live life. Every moment we get through, we're expecting this moment, moment to be the most amazing moment of our life, and then we get on the other side and we look back and go, that was it? There had to be more than that. This is what I looked forward to. This is what living is. This is what I'm supposed to have. And really, all you've been doing is just existing. Because what you're grasping for, you can never really hang on to. Second thing, the difference between living and existing, it's the difference between confusion and clarity. So here's the, here's the reality. If Jesus actually rose from the dead, that means something really important. That means that there is a God who knows what he's doing and is at work in human history and actually has a plan for every human being that's ever existed. If you remove the resurrection and you don't believe that and you don't think it's real, then you are left with one simple conclusion. You are confused about the meaning of why you exist. You can come up with great theories and great understandings, but here's the key. If there isn't an overriding purpose behind our lives, then really we aren't coincidental, we're accidental. And there's no purpose for why we exist other than the fact that something happened sometime in all of what we call history that brought us into existence, that had no meaning and no connection to anything else. But what happens is when God sends his son Jesus into the middle of human history, Jesus dies on a cross and then literally is the only human being ever to cheat death, ever to die and come back, then it changes everything because now we understand that there is somebody outside of the context of human history that is actually at work on our behalf. And if you're somebody who knows Jesus, that is really good news. If you're somebody that doesn't know Jesus, you're starting to get a glimpse is maybe there is good news for me. Maybe my life has more meaning than I think it does. Maybe things aren't just random. Maybe there's purpose behind my life and my experience because somehow I've discovered that there's a God that's actually doing things and he's doing things on purpose because he's up to something in my life. See, you and I die for meaning. 
We want our lives to actually mean something. And the resurrection means that life has meaning. It means there's a God who loves me, who made a way through Jesus' death to actually take the sin and brokenness in my life. And then when he rose from the dead, which by the way, you can't have one without the other. If you and I celebrate the crucifixion and there is no resurrection, then Jesus' death is meaningless. But his resurrection demonstrates that he was perfect and death couldn't hold him because death can't hold him. Death can't hold you and I if we give our life to Jesus because now we are what? We get his righteousness, he gets our sin. So we're free to live. And that means we have meaning because we have purpose. And the greatest tragedy for human beings is to live 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years and never have meaning, but just simply exist. You ever just, just like discovered something that you didn't know why it was, why it was until you figured it out and you're like, oh, now I get it. What did you just discover? You discovered meaning. When we moved to Oregon, when we moved, we, we rented a house for, for a little while, and then we bought a house, and we moved in. And in both those houses, I was really struck by something that I had never seen in California before. When we moved into both houses, I remember as I moved in, I was looking, and there was all these vents in the, in the rooms, in the family room, in the living room, in the bedrooms that were on the ground. And I looked up on walls and ceilings, and there was no HVAC. There was no heating and air conditioning vents anywhere up on walls or in ceilings, anywhere. They were all on the floor. And I remember when we moved in, I'm like, this is the stupidest thing ever. People in Oregon are not very smart. Because if you're trying to, like, put furniture in a room the way you want it, and then there's a vent that you know you're going to need eventually, so you can't cover it. So you have to rearrange everything around these vents to make it work. And then, when we were there for a little while, and it started to snow, and it started to get colder, and we turned the heater on, I went, oh, now I know why they do this. Anybody know it's a little bit colder in Oregon than it is mostly in California? And so when you turn the heat on and the heat comes from the ground instead of coming from the ceiling, guess what? Your house is a lot warmer because what does heat do? It rises. And I'm like, somebody in Oregon really was smart here. And I can't tell you how many times in the middle of the winter I turn my heater on and I would just stand on top of one of those vents and say, thank you, Jesus, for the genius who came up with this idea. That's the reality of what you and I experience when we finally come to grips with, I actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and because I believe Jesus rose from the dead, life actually means something now. I've known Jesus since I was six years old, and just in the last few months, I've come again to this reality that if Jesus is alive, it changes everything about my life. And if it's not changing everything about my life, then I don't really believe it. But when I begin to believe it, and I begin to understand it, it changes everything because he's alive, now I have meaning and purpose in my life. And there's a third thing. The third thing that's a difference between living and existing is the difference between limited and limitless. Merely existing means that you and I, whether you know it or not, we are bound by what we see, what we hear, what we touch, what we know in this world. That's, that's the limitations of our experience. But if we truly are living and we dial into this understanding of the resurrection, we realize that there is something that we would call supernatural going on beyond what we can see. And when you tap into what's supernatural, you realize you've just blown past the limitations of humanity. You realize that there are now not the limits that we understand. There are no more limits. Why? Because the greatest issue for every single human being to ever live is this thing called death. That is the greatest limiting factor for all of us. It's the thing that we deal with all the time. When you leave this place and you get in your car, there are literally, if not tens or twenties, if not hundreds of systems in your car that are built for one reason, to keep you alive. 
your seatbelt, your airbags, your brakes, all the computerized systems now, automatic braking. Why? Because we don't know how to brake and we get into an accident, right? All those are built for one reason. What? I don't want to die. I want to be safe. Why? Because death is the limit for us. But if Jesus rose from the dead, there's a supernatural dynamic that comes. Now there's no more limits. There's no more limits. Why? Because death is not a period. Death is a comma and life goes on. And that's the reality that we can experience. Now that's, that's tough for us because we want to be able to test it. We want to be able to understand it. We want to be able to figure it out. But there's something about the way God works that you will never figure out. That's why it's called faith. But here's the truth of the resurrection. You and I are not 2,000 years ago somewhere, you know, outside of Jerusalem watching the stone being rolled away and Jesus walking out of the tomb. None, I haven't met anybody here yet who's actually seen that other than watching it in a movie. But I'll tell you this. You and I can't be eyewitnesses to the resurrection because there's a couple thousand years of history. But you know what we can be? We don't see it, but we experience it. A couple weeks ago, we were talking about Jesus using an analogy about the way he works by his spirit in our life, and he uses the analogy of wind. And that's a perfect analogy of the supernatural. You can't see wind. You can't. You can see the influence of wind, but you can't see wind. If you go stand outside today, and on any typical day in Simi Valley, there's going to be some kind of wind. It might be strong. It might be weak. And when you look, you're going to see trees move. And you're going to see leaves blow. And you're going to feel things on your skin. But what are you feeling that you can't see? Wind. Why? Because it's something that your eyes can't grasp. But does that mean that wind is not real? No, wind is a real thing. If you live in Simi Valley, it is a huge thing, isn't it? Just because you didn't stand at the tomb and see Jesus walk out doesn't mean he didn't rise from the dead. But you can, you can actually come to a place of living in such a way that you realize I'm experiencing the life that Jesus made possible because he is alive. Therefore, I can be alive. There's a supernatural dimension. If there is no supernatural, you and I are hopeless. Because we live in the natural. And the natural doesn't look too good right now, does it? There has to be something beyond us. And that's the life that Jesus describes. Listen to what Paul describes, the same kind of concept of what's now and what's future. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 and 18, he said, these hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today and gone tomorrow, but the things we can't see now will last forever. Here's the challenge of humanity. You and I live in a, in, in a world where we're convinced everything that is to be known is right in front of us. What is real is what is right in front of me. This is real. That's what we believe. But you know, the truth of the resurrection means that there's something real outside of your existence that has to penetrate your existence. Something real beyond what just you can see in front of you. Anybody taken a pair of VR or virtual reality goggles and put those on before? You know, if you have like a phone, you can do that. So we were down with, uh, with Danny and Lauren and Abbott Kenny in Santa Monica, and we went to a Tom's store, and they had one of those set up, you know, Tom's shoes, where they actually, when you buy shoes, they donate to, to kids to, to help put shoes on them and help kids in, in, in areas of, that there's high poverty. And so I sat down on this stool, and I popped on one of those, those, gla- those glasses, those goggles, and, and it was this trip that... that some of the Tom's executives had taken into somewhere in South America to help kids who didn't have shoes. And so I put it on and it was the most incredible experience because as soon as you put it on, you feel like you're there. And so I'm literally sitting in the back of a Jeep as we're going down this dusty road. And as you turn your head, the, the whole thing turns and I'm looking at the side of the road and, look, and I actually turn around and I could see the dust and the back view of, of the Jeep. I'm like tripping out. It's crazy. 
Like, this is so real. But then as I'm watching, and then the next scene, I'm like in the middle of like probably hundreds of kids, and they're, they're distributing shoes, and like there's kids everywhere, and I'm turning around, and there's kids everywhere. But the weirdest thing, the freakiest thing, is that I'm looking at this, and I put my hands out, and I can't see them. I can feel them, but I can't see them because they're not in the virtual reality. And so I'm like trying to grab that kid, and I can't get him because my hand won't show up. And is this the weirdest feeling? Anybody like, is it just me? It's like the strangest thing. And then I took it off, and I went, oh, I'm in Santa Monica. I'm not in South America anymore. And I put it back on. I'm like, this is cool. I can't see my body, but I can see everything around me. See, when you put on VR goggles, you know what's real is just on the other side of those goggles. It's just on the other side. What's, what you're seeing is actually not real. But what's on the other side, just beyond it, is actually what's real. And existing is living in a really cool virtual reality for most of our life, thinking, yeah, this is it, but something haunts you. Something tells you there's more than this. There has to be more than this. Even though this is really cool, and I can change it and make it what I want it to be, at least I think I can, there has to be something beyond this, because I can tell there's something that's missing from this experience that I have yet to tap into yet. What you're, what you're talking about, what you're feeling, is the dimension of life that Jesus wants to bring to your life. But it's beyond what you and I would perceive. It's just on the other side. And then there's a fourth thing. It is the difference between modification and transformation. Greatest human struggles is what? I want to change the bad things about my life. I want to make myself better. I want to change the issues in my life. I want to make sure that the way I live is the best possible life I can live. So all these bad habits, all these addictions, all these struggles, I'm going to change them and I'm going to do the best version of myself. How many ever tried that before? You can change things, but you know what you really can do? You can modify things. But you know what we can't do as human beings? We can't transform things. We can't. Michael Bay can transform things because he has a lot of money and he makes transformers. But Jesus actually can transform a life, okay? You and I can't change anything. Not substantially. We can't. We can modify our behavior. We're good at it. It's called a diet, right? We can modify our waistline by eating certain foods and not eating other foods, right? Are we changing anything? Are we transforming? No, we're not transforming anything. We're just modifying our behavior. That's pretty cool. The problem is you can only modify for so long until you can't modify anymore. And even if you're really good at modifying, you can't change yourself to be the person that you know that you want to be because there's always something nagging. There's always something that is just out of reach. There's always something that you wish you could change about yourself and you're frustrated because you can't. But Jesus, through the power of the resurrection, actually can transform us from the inside out. Those of you who know Jesus know this experience. It may not happen overnight for you, but it may happen over a lifetime that you look back over your life and there are things that you tried for years to change about yourself, that you tried everything in the book to try to make better and you couldn't do it until finally someday you came to the realization, I have to surrender this to Jesus and let him do what only he can do. And you look back over your life and I've got a long list of those things and I'm not that person anymore. And it's not because I got proficient at modification. It's because finally I realized I got to surrender for Jesus to transform me. And when I understand that, I realize there's more than what I can do. I can't fix myself. Jesus has to transform me. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5 about the way God goes about doing things in our life. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love 
which he has for us, even when we were dead. The reason you can't transform yourself is because you're dead. In the reality of life, then it goes on, it says, in our trespasses, and then what? He made us alive together with Christ. From death to life is not modification. From death to life is transformation. That's one of the reasons that Jesus has the capacity to transform your life is because he has power over death. And death, if you run it backwards, runs into this thing called sin, which is all the issues that we have in our life because ultimately sin leads to death. But when death gets dealt with, guess what? You back the truck up and sin gets dealt with and now Jesus comes and says, I'm going to transform you in the areas of your brokenness. It doesn't mean that he waves a magic wand and then tomorrow morning you wake up and you're a perfect person. But it means that you surrender over and over and over again so Jesus comes to bear in your life and says, listen, I have the power to transform you. I have the power to change you. I have the power to change your mind and your heart and the way you live your life. Why? Because he has the power over death and nobody else has that. Nobody has the power over death except for Jesus. Again, it's the difference between this modification and transformation. About a month and a half ago, Kim was pulling out of our garage and uh, for over, I don't know, we just bought the house. The house is like 18 years old. And so, original garage door. So the tension between the garage door opener and the arm that connected the garage door opener to the garage because of metal fatigue snapped. So the door no longer worked properly. You could actually hit the remote and it would move the garage door, but no garage door would go up because it wasn't connected anymore. So she called and she told me, I said, okay, when I get home, I'll take a look at it. And so I got in there and, and, I, and I went in and I actually modified it. Okay, I did my little MacGyver mover, move and I actually got some bolts and I put it together and, and I got it to work. And I went in the house and I said to Kim, I said, listen, it's working, but it's not going to work for very long. Because I can tell when, when the door lifts, there's a lot of tension, it's not going to work. And I said, so we've got to get it fixed. So I call a garage door company, and the guy comes out, and I explain the situation. He sees it, and he said, okay. He goes, let me just take a look at the door overall. He said, because, yeah, this is older, but he said, there's more going on here. And so he looks at the door, and, and he looks at a couple things. And you know when a guy starts pondering and scratching his chin, either he's going to rip you off or he actually sees something that's going on, Right. And so he goes, come here. And he goes, so he goes, we start looking at the different panels on the garage. And he goes, listen, he goes, these are all hairline cracks in the metal. I'm like, yeah, I can see those. I don't even have my glasses on. I can see them. And he goes, that's not the worst issue he goes, you have. He goes, come here. And so he goes, he goes, he opens the door and he closes the door. He goes, look at the door. He goes, the tracks are all bent. And he goes, they're actually set off to one side. He said, you have an inch gap on one side and another inch overlap on the other side. He said, the reason that metal fatigue happened is because every time that door opened, it wasn't lined up properly and there's too much pressure on that arm. And if we, if we just put a new arm on and we just put some new metal on, guess what? In about a year, I'm going to be back again because you're going to have the same problem because it's just getting worse. And I'm just thinking, no, it's just getting worse for me because I can see the money going up, 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 the expense getting higher. And then finally he said, listen, he goes, I can fix this, but I'll be back. He said, or you can replace it and get a brand new door. I'm like, oh, I didn't want him to say that. And he said, I said, yeah, we got to get a brand new door. Here's the cool thing. If he would have modified it, we would have had the same old garage door opener. Makes a lot of noise, literally shakes the house. Courtney and Jordan's rooms are right above it. It's like, dad's home, right? So he puts the new one in. It's quiet, smooth. Here's the coolest thing. I can now open my garage door with my phone. Is that like the coolest thing ever? Right? Some of you are like, I've had that for five years. Sorry, I'm just new to the game. But it's the coolest thing. I would have never had that. But why? Because he didn't modify it. He actually made it brand new. And brand new always has more dimension than just modifying something or just adjusting it. 
It's the same thing with life. And then there's this final point. The difference between living and existing is this. It's the difference between being without and being with God. And this is the point. This is the point. God's greatest desire is for you to be with him. And so you maybe you're thinking in your mind, listen, I think I can maybe understand. Maybe I, I think I've been living, but maybe I've just been existing. So I think there may be what you're talking about. Maybe there is another dimension of life, but how in the world do I get to it? I just got to believe somehow in my mind. Yeah, I got to go study the history and think, okay, yeah, Jesus really did rise. What is this? How does it change? How do I get what the Bible calls eternal life, which, by the way, is not just life forever. It's life always. It's life now that God wants to give to us. Jesus actually tells us in his own words how we can attain this life. He says this in John 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. How do you receive life? How do you actually live life? Not just exist, Jesus says it. It's to know God. It's to know his son, Jesus. It's to know him personally. Why? Because the greatest desire for God, of God for humanity is that he placed us in this world and he created us for one primary reason. So that he would have glory, but the glory comes when he is reunited or reconciled back to us because we've walked away from him. All of human history culminates in this fact. God wants to be with humanity. God loves us. God loves his creation, but his creation is broken. Why? Because his love is so deep and so profound for us. He didn't make robots. He didn't create us and say, you have no choice in the matter. You are forced to love me because that's not love. That's obligation. But he gives us the capacity to make our own decision. And in making our own decision, we can choose not to love him. And even in that, even when we chose not to love him, God loved us so much. He said, I've got to make a way for them to still be with me. So that's why we have Good Friday and we have Easter. Because God sends Jesus, his son, who is God himself, into the world to die for our sin and brokenness that would separate us from God. Because he's perfect. But we are then, what, through Jesus' death and then his resurrection, guess what we get? We get to be reconciled back to God. So why is it that maybe you're just existing? Is it you have to work harder and figure out life and try to make your experience of life better? No, it's that the one thing that has lacked in your life is that you don't know Jesus. And maybe for the first time you realize how deeply God loves you, that your life has meaning. Why? Because all of human history, God is at work in human history He's working out. In fact, the Bible actually tells us that God is extremely patient because he's waiting and giving more time for more people to say, I need to figure out who Jesus is because if I discover Jesus, I discover life. And then when you get that, when you and I reach the end of this existence, this life, then it only gets better. Here's the reality. If, if, if you don't know Jesus, this life is as good as it gets. It is. But if you do know Jesus, this, is, this life is, is, is worse it's ever going to be for you. That's the perspective. And you might think, life's pretty good for me. I don't know Jesus. I think it's going to be even better when you do know him. Or those of you who have gone through and you look at life and think, man, I know Jesus, but it's been a struggle. It's been painful. It's been difficult. That's as bad as it's ever going to get for you. That's the reality of life. So what I'd like to do, I'm going to ask if the worship team could come again and join me and as well, I'll make a mention in a moment. We're going to have prayer teams available if you'd like to be prayed for this morning. But, but what I'd like to do is I'd like to give opportunity today for you to respond because there's something that you have to understand about the way God wants to engage you. 
when we think about belief and people say, well, do you have faith? Do you believe? And we'll say, well, yeah, I believe. And we believe a lot of things. We trust a lot of things. And we think when we think belief, we think mental. We think if I have the information and it makes sense to me, then I believe it. That's not faith, that's science. And those two work together many times. But here's the reality of what belief is. Belief is not knowing it in your head. Belief is actually trusting it in your heart because belief is not an objective term. Belief is a subjective term because belief in Jesus' day was a relational term. It wasn't that I believe something about you. It's that I actually believe in you. There's a huge difference. And so if you come today and you think, you know, if I just had the right belief system, I just had the right information about God, then I've got it down. That's not what this is about. What this is about is that God of the universe wants to know you. In fact, he already knows you better than you know yourself. You just haven't figured that out yet. He loves you because he created you. He knows your thoughts. Kind of scary, isn't it? He knows the challenges you face. He knows everything you've ever gone through in your life because he's been present. Even though you don't know he's been present. And he's wanting you to know today that today is an intersection that he put in your life. You think somebody dragged you here and you didn't want to come? God was already at work. And it doesn't have to happen in an Easter service, in a church service. It can happen anywhere. God is constantly reaching out to get your attention. And he's saying, listen, I want you to know that I love you. I want you to know that there's a better dimension of life that I want you to live. But one of the things you have to come to grips with is that you have to trust him. You have to believe into him. You have to know that he's real and that there is more to life than I've been living. doesn't mean that you have all the answers, but I know that I have to trust him. What do you trust him with? There's a couple really important things. And this is one of them. You trust him with your sin. What do you mean trust him with my sin? All of us are messed up. All of us are sinners. All of us are broken. And what he wants you and I to do is to bring our sin to him. Because he already knows it's there. Because he knows everything. And we bring it to him and we offer it over to him. And we, that's called confession. That means, God, this is the things that I know my life has been about, and I know they're things that have never produced life in me, but I bring them to you, I confess them to you. And you know what Jesus does? He takes those things on himself, on the cross, which pays a penalty. We sang about it earlier. He paid my debt when I offer my sin. And then what he does is then he exchanges my sin as I give him my sin. The Bible tells us then in return he gives us his righteousness. It's crazy. Wait, you get the garbage and I get the good stuff? And Jesus says, yeah, that's why I died for you. But then when he rose from the dead, this is the good stuff. You and I surrender our sin and then you know what also we surrender? Our existence, what we call life. Because Jesus didn't just die so that you and I could just maintain until he comes again. You know what he died for? So that you and I could actually be alive now. And that's a life that says, okay, it's not me anymore. It's not my life because I, I, I'm dying with my sin and that, all, that stuff, that old life, that's gone. And now there's a new way of living. And because there's a new way of living, I'm not going to tell you, God, how I'm supposed to live my life anymore. I'm going to let you show me what my life's supposed to look like. And it will look different. It will look new. It will look abundant. It won't be what it used to be. And that means you have to let go of what it used to be because God has something better for you. Does it mean that you'll have all of your problems go away? No. It means you'll have a dimension of life that gives you the capacity to deal with the problems in your life that you've never had before. So Jesus says, offer me your sin, offer me your life, and you can experience the fullness of life. So I'm going to ask you, if you would just go ahead and close your eyes, because I want you just to reflect on that in a way to respond this morning, the way to respond today. 
I'm going to pray in a moment, and when I pray, and then we're going to go into a song. And in, in a way of response, if, if you know as I'm praying, and you know as, I, as I've, I've spoken this morning, that if you are honest with yourself, and I know that pride comes in and will, will battle on you right now, because inside of you, there's a part of you that's screaming and crying out for life, but then there's a part of you that's fighting it with every ounce of your being, because you're afraid. God knows the fear that you have and he wants you to know don't be afraid. Life is within your reach. So as I'm praying, I'm going to ask you if you know that inside of you God is stirring something up and you know what he's saying is that I want your sin and I want your life so that I can give you abundant life and he's saying today is the day you make that decision and that commitment in this place because now going forward I want you to have newness of life I want you to have abundant life but you have to grasp it you have to receive it you have to want to step into it and Jesus is calling you to do that today and so as we pray I'm going to encourage you to do something when I'm done praying and we go into a song On the stage left, so my left, your right, there will be prayer teams available to just simply agree with you, to just pray with you and say, yeah, Jesus is now coming into your life in a way that you've never experienced before. This is not about church attendance or membership or conversion. This is about you coming to Jesus and taking a physical step towards that reality of life. And that can be true for any person who's never experienced Jesus, and maybe you're here today and God is saying to you, You have not lived the life that I have given to you. You said yes to me years ago, but you have not been living. You've been existing. Today is the day of life for you. If that's you, you go as well and just have people agree with you in prayer that today is the day of abundant life for you. Jesus, we thank you that you are alive. You're alive, and because you're alive, that means death has been defeated. And if death is defeated, then we have nothing to fear except the fact that we know that when this life ends, it is not the end. It is the beginning of newness of life. That, Lord, in this life, you've given us life that is abundant, which means there's a capacity that is supernatural. Lord, I know you want us to experience that. Lord, give us the courage today to not be afraid. Give us the courage today to not hold back, to not care about what anybody else in this room thinks about the reality of your resurrection, the truth of your life in us, the deep love that you have for us. Let us experience that today so that, Lord, we forget about ourselves and all that we can focus in is you and what you're doing in us right now. Jesus, we thank you that you died. We thank you that you're alive, and we honor and celebrate your resurrection today. Jesus, in your name, amen.